0: Uh, we are in Romans chapter 7, so let's do that. Romans chapter 7, that's page 900, thank you, appreciate that, page 943. I want you to know that does help me. Also, it helps when you guys are a little bit closer, okay, when you're not so far away. So if it's not packed on any particular, don't do it now, but on any particular Sunday, sit a little bit closer. It helps me. I like to see you, and I, can't, I can barely see back there. I, I like to actually see your face. Hi, Rob. How are you? Good to see you, Kathy. Good to see all of you, of course. Uh, I haven't seen Rob and Kathy for a little while, so. All right, so Romans chapter 7, we're in verses 7 through, we're going to look at verses 7 through 13, and the title of this message is, Is the Law Evil? Is the Law Evil? Now, a lot of you, well, there were a lot of people missing last Sunday. Do you know we had 230, uh, I think 238 people in attendance on Easter? Okay, just to show you the shift. Okay, that's great. That was fantastic. The next Sunday, we had 118. That was last Sunday. We dropped 120 people. So I say Easter is the highest attended, and our normal attendance is about 150 people. So even last Sunday, I don't know where 30 people were, just different places people were gone. So, um, so there were a lot of people that may not have heard the sermon last Sunday, uh, and that was the first part. That's like the foundational piece. It was verses 1 through 6. And and it was titled, Freed from the Law. Freed from the Law. So if you didn't hear it, I can't go over it today so much. I want to encourage you, if you haven't, to go online, because we place it there, so that you can listen to it, in case you did miss last Sunday and you couldn't be here. Because you may have questions today, and those questions might be answered in the sermon that I did last week. All right. Is the law evil? I'll connect this back because this is a question that now comes up based on something that Paul said in the first six verses of Romans chapter 7. And now he addresses that. But first let me do this. In Acts 21, in Acts twenty-one, we read, you don't have to turn there, it'll come up on the screen um, unless you really want to. We read concerning the Apostle Paul, this is what we read, and I'm doing this for historical context so you understand historically what's going on. In the early stages of the church. In verse 27, it reads this The Jews, the Jews, okay, from Asia, seeing him, that's Paul, you can read that, you'll see that, that's Paul, in the temple, what temple? The temple where they worship, it's the Jewish temple. They stirred up the whole crowd, uh, the Jews from Asia, and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel! Okay, so now they're appealing to the Jewish people. Help! All right, what is there a fire? Right? No, this is the man. Okay, now they're talking about Paul, who is teaching everyone everywhere. I mean, he's like, whoa, is really exaggerated. I mean, this guy, this is him. He's teaching everyone everywhere against the people. What, does he mean, what do they mean against the people, against the Jewish people? He's teaching something that goes against the Jewish people and what else? The law and the law. What law? The Mosaic law, the law of Moses, the law that the Jews had been under that God gave to the people through his servant Moses and this place. So he's, they're talking about the temple. Man, this guy, he's against everything that we are. He's a traitor. Now, you, you know Paul, a, he's a Jew. He was a Pharisee. He was responsible for, now this is prior, this is prior to his conversion, but he was responsible for protecting the law for making sure that it was upheld for defending the law. He was like a Jew of all Jews. And now the Jewish people have, have turned on Paul And they basically are saying, this guy is a traitor. He even goes against the law. He speaks against the law. Now watch. Let me show you how crazy this was. Verse 30. Then all the city, the city. Now, they've got the whole city involved in this thing. They were stirred up, and the people ran together, and they seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut to the temple. And as they were seeking to talk to him, and 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 change his mind, considering what he was saying, right? does it say that? No. They were seeking to kill him. I want you gotta understand this. This is the level to which this had raised. This is this is how critical this this whole issue of the law is to the Jewish people. Word came to the the tribune of the cohort. Okay, so word got to the guy, the commander of the Roman army. That's all that means, that all Jerusalem was in confusion, okay? And he at once took soldiers and centurions. So again, he took soldiers and the guys that commanded the soldiers, and he ran down to them, right? Because the last thing Rome wants, remember, Jews are under Roman occupation, right? So I'm just giving you the history so you can see it. And Rome, they're all about peace. They don't want any craziness breaking out. So they use their power and their strength to make sure that ever the peace was kept. That's what they were there for. And all of a sudden, we've got an uproar, man. We've got the crowds going crazy, the whole city's in confusion, and they're trying to kill this guy. So they came and they uh, they it says, and they ran down to them, and when they saw the, the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. So they're in process, they're gonna kill this guy. And now they, they see the, the you know the authorities basically and they stop. You understand, right? Like when you're speeding on the freeway and you see that car, and then you slow down. So then the tribune came up, came up and arrested him, who, Paul, and ordered him to be bound with two chains, because he doesn't know what's going on. But obviously, let's just beat you know, let's just take the beaten guy and just put him over here in the corner for a second. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. Let's just get this guy over here into protected custody, okay? And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers. So they're carrying Paul now because of the violence of the crowd. They want to kill him. So they can't just walk him through the crowd. That's how, that's how intense this is. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! Away with him! Okay, you get it? All right, now listen. What is going on? What is all the uproar about? Well, as a result, as a result of faithfully preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. See, that's what Paul was doing. He's going from city to city, preaching. I didn't even bring up my Bible. Got all mixed up because I did the announcements, and you know how it is. We're creatures of habit, right? So he's he's preaching. He's preaching this. He's preaching what we're talking about in Romans. And for that reason, people are really upset. The Jews hated him. They hated him for the preaching of the gospel, for the good news of Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Hey, it wasn't just the Jews. You should read this story in Acts 19. We're not going to do it for sake of time. In Acts 19, 23 through 41, the Gentiles, some of the Gentiles hated him too. You know why? Because the Gentiles worshiped idols. And Paul comes along and says, hey, the idols are nothing. You know those dumb little statues? They're nothing. There is one true God, one true God. But the Gentiles were all about idol worship, and they had a business selling the idols and selling stuff that goes with their sacrifices and all that. So you read a story about how they said, hey, listen, this Paul, he's coming up here and he's disrupting business. We got to put him down. All right, so the Gentiles hate him. The Jews hate him, right? And this is what's amazing. And in this case, I read you in Acts, it was the Jewish people. They turned against Paul, many of them. But what blows me away about Paul is rather than become bitter with them, I mean, you can understand that he could easily become bitter, right? Your own people turn against you. In Romans 10.1, just mark it down in your minds. In Romans 10.1, we learn that Paul's heart's desire was for their salvation. Even, even with all that, they want to kill the guy. They're putting a beat down on him. And yet, in, in Romans, we learn, he'd even, he even says, I'd give up my own salvation if my people would, would be saved. Just the heart of Paul. But why did the the Jewish people hate Paul so much? Well, listen, one reason concerned what he was teaching, like I just said, in relationship to the gospel, specifically concerning their law, their law, the law of God that he gave to the nation through Moses. So what was he teaching about the law? What, What was it that got him so upset? Well, for starters, according to what we have recently looked at in Romans, Paul taught, now this, we're going back now to last week, Paul taught that the Christian, the one who is trusting in Christ, the one who believes in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that person is no longer under the law of Moses. They are no longer under the law of Moses because they have died to the law through the redeeming work of Christ. So they are no longer under its binding authority. They are no longer under it. They have been released from any bondage to the power of the Mosaic Law. But the Jews, however, having lived now almost 1,500 years under the law, that's a lot of generations, right? That's a lot of you teach your kids, they teach their kids, they teach their kids. This is their way of life. It's ingrained in them. To be a Jew is to be under the law. Your whole life consisted to some degree, everything from morning to evening. The law had something to say about it. They were having a hard time with it, obviously. This whole idea that they're just released from the law? And we looked at that last week, Acts 14, 27 through chapter 15, verse 11. If you were here, do you remember? They had even this conversation. These Gentiles are coming to Christ, and they're like, wait a minute, wait, 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 wait. We got to put them under the law. And do you remember the apostles disputed that? And they talked about it, they debated it, they talked about it, they said, no. No, we're not going to do that. They're saved in the same way that we are by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And beloved, some Christians, remember I said last week, some Christians still, they wrestle with this. They don't understand what place the law has in their lives. And I recommended a book, Law and Grace, Law and Grace, by Alva J. McLean, $4 on Amazon. $4 on Amazon. I'm going to encourage you to get it. You know, this is... One of my deepest concerns is that Christianity is very, I'm speaking generally now, Christianity, let me say it this way, Christians are very superficial in their understanding of their Christian faith. They know, very, they know just the surface issues. Hey, that's great, that's a great, they need to know those, but it, it doesn't go much deeper than that. And because it doesn't go much deeper than that, their lives really don't go much deeper than that. Their lives aren't impacted as they can be. These are important issues that we need to understand. They impact the way you live. And so I would encourage you, to you got to look into this. You gotta, and this will help you because we're not going to cover everything in here. How do I understand law and grace? Is the Christian under the law? They are not. They are not. And yet, in many cases, you'll hear preaching that sounds like the preacher is trying to put you back under the law. And that's not a good thing. And you got you to understand these things. So we're released from the law. All right. But that is not all that Paul taught concerning the law. Paul makes a statement in chapter 7, verse 5, that we looked at last week, that sinful, listen, that sinful passions are actually aroused by the law. Aroused. Not only are you released from it, but I'm going to tell you something. Your sinful passions are aroused by the law and work to bear fruit for death. And that statement, that statement by itself would certainly provoke the Jew that heard it. It would provoke them. Are you? Wait a minute, Paul. Like, no. The, the law brings life, Paul. The law makes one holy, Paul. And Paul's saying, no. No, it, it, it can't do that. It, it, does not, it does not do that. Do you understand? Do you see? And that, that was a big, whoa. I don't, Paul, you're a traitor. You're speaking against everything we've ever believed. But Paul's setting the record straight. Paul's bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul's helping them see there's a better way, the right way to live for God and be saved by him. Now listen carefully. Paul's already made it clear in the earlier chapters of Romans that the the law is powerless to save anyone, right? Do you remember that? Can you be saved by the law? Right, and yet when you ask someone, how do you know you're going to heaven, so often their appeal is to the law. Hello, right? Ask somebody, do it this week. I'm challenging you, come on, for fun. Just say, hey, I wanna ask you a question. I'm just wondering, my pastor brought this up and he told me to do a survey. That way you can be honest in everything you're saying. I'm telling you to do a survey. He said, just to ask, hey, if you were, you know, Standing before God, and he asked you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say to him? What would you say? And see what they say. More often than not, it's not going to be because I'm a believer in Jesus Christ. He's got my back. I'm forgiven through him. I'm clothed in his righteousness. They're not going to say those things. You know what they're going to say? Well, I'm, I'm a pretty decent person. I, don't, I mean, I don't kill people. Law. I don't lie. I mean, most of the time, you know, they don't say things like that. But when they're saying that, that's what I'm thinking. You don't lie. Who are you? What are you talking about? You don't lie. You know, know, I'm a good guy. I'm a good gal. What are they doing? They're appealing to the law. Can the law save them? No, beloved. The law condemns them just like it does every human being. The law brings God's wrath. So, Paul's already made that clear, but now in verses 6 through 8, he's now focused on the Christian sanctification, their sanctification. And when it comes to sanctification, Paul's message is exactly the same as it was concerning salvation and the law. The law is powerless concerning our salvation. The law is powerless concerning our sanctification. See, that's a, what? Are you sure about that? Well, I'm just telling you what Paul's saying. I'm trying to show you that from the text. It's not the law of God or the Mosaic law, but listen, what is it then that makes me more like Christ? What is it that allows me to live a holy life, that propels me towards righteousness? What is it? Is it the law? It is not. It is the Spirit of God. Not the law of God, but the Spirit of God. Not the Mosaic law, but the Holy Spirit that dwells within The believer, the believer. See, this is why it's just futile. For an unbeliever, they look to the law for their salvation. Then they look to the law to try to be good. Are you kidding? But Christians, Christians, most of them know, I don't look to the law for salvation. But many of them still think that it's the law that's driving them to holiness. No, it's not. No, it's not. It is the Spirit of God. That's your only hope, to be made like Christ. That's the point Paul is making, and he'll be making. I'll show you as we move through chapter 7 and into chapter 8. So, so Paul's statement in chapter 7 that the sinful passions are actually aroused by the law, it could, listen, it could lead some to the conclusion, it could lead some to the conclusion that Paul is suggesting that the law is evil, Right? It could because it's somehow, based on what Paul is saying, the law somehow serves to stimulate sin. But Paul is not saying or suggesting that the law is evil. He is not. That's why I titled this, Is the Law Evil? And so Paul addresses that possible misunderstanding and provides some clarity for us as we move through chapter 7. Okay? Are you with me? Kind of, kind of there. Just stick with me. And again, this is a unit, right? we got to understand six, all of seven, and we got to get eight also. So I can't preach it all in one week, but we're kind of building here. We're building on these ideas. So now look at the text, Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That's what Paul says. Now remember, this is in response to what he has just said in the first six verses. And one of the things he said Is that the law incites sin, arouses sinful passions? Uh, It happens. It happens. That's why I say we should just leave them outside in a bag and then. Are we good? What then shall we say? All right? That the law is sin? Is that what we should say? Paul does this, right? He he raises the question, then he answers the question. We've already seen this practice of Paul, by no means, yet if it had not been for the law, I'm just going to read through the text, we'll come back to it, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive, and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means! It was sin producing death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. All right, i got to move fast because I'm already behind. So Thomas, figure out how to cut short whatever it is you're going to say at the end here, because we're also celebrating communion. We're going to consider three ways. So I hate doing that to my brother. We'll consider three ways in which the law and sin are related. This is what we're going to do, so that we might not question the goodness of the law. We don't want to do that. We don't want to walk away from what Paul's saying in Romans chapter 7 with the idea that there's anything wrong with the holy law of God. There is not. There is not. But we also want to recognize its inability to eradicate sin. Okay? We want to recognize that. We want to see that. That's the main idea. So here we go. And I repeat it three times just so that there's no confusion. Number one, these are the three ways in which the law and sin are related as revealed by Paul. The law is not evil. It is not evil. Rather, the law exposes sin. Two, the law is not evil. Rather, the law is exploited by sin. Three, the law is not evil. Rather, the law establishes how wicked sin is. Hopefully I can show you that in the time we have left. The law is not evil. Rather, the law exposes sin. Look back at the text, Romans chapter 7, verse 7. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. All right? So Paul states it clearly right up front that the law is not sin or evil, right? That's, that's what he means by that. Is the law sin? Is, there, is it evil? Is it sinful? Is that what I'm... Do you think that's what I'm saying? Is that what I'm implying? Of course not. By no means. He used that phrase before. That's impossible, guys. It's impossible. Listen. Who gave the law? God. If the law is evil, then the giver is too. You see? Don't make this mistake. No, God is holy. That's one of the things we know about God. Righteous, just. So if he gave something, it's righteous, just, holy. He's the source of it. So not at all. It's impossible. But having said what the law is not, so he says that in verse 7, having said what it is not, it's not evil, it's not sin, he states clearly for us what it is in verse 12. Look at that. This is kind of his conclusion statement after he explains what he says in verse 7. So the law is, it's not sinful, it is holy. And the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Just kind of adds one adjective after another. And the commandment that he's referring to is, is the one that he references from the law. All right? So the law is like the whole picture of all that God gave. And then within that law, there are commandments. And he's going to talk about one of those commandments. And so because the law is holy, then what the law contains, the commandments, they are holy and righteous and good. And he refers to that uh, in the verse, we'll see that as as we move through the text. By the way, the commandment that he talks about happens to be commandment number or the 10th commandment of the 10 commandments. Do you remember the 10 commandments? Right. So the last one is thou shalt not covet. Talks specifically about your neighbor's house, your neighbor's wife, or anything, of your neighbors, don't covet, right? We're going to get to that in a second, but that's the one he uses in his example here to explain what he's saying. Now, let's look at verse 7 one more time. Look back. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. By no means. Of course not. That's not what I'm saying. Yet, if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin, for I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. Paul's statement here if it had not been for the law i would not have known sin is very similar to the same or the one that he makes in Romans chapter 3 verse 20 which we've already covered let me remind you of what that says there he says for by works of the law by obedience to the law no human being will be justified in his sight god's sight no one is, through the law, going to be able to come before God and say, See? I'm acceptable. Why? Since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Come on, are you kidding me? The law, is, the law works to expose how messed up you are. You think you're going to go to the law and somehow find justification there before God? Are you kidding me? It's impossible for the sinner. For the sinner. Oh, guess what we learned in Romans? Guess what we learned? We're all sinners. With one exception. Christ. One exception. So I think the point Paul is making is it's simple. The law is not sin. Rather, the law exposes sin. It exposes wrongdoing. How? Well, in part, by defining it. By defining it. See, listen, through the revelation of the law, certain acts were revealed to be sinful. Certain acts were revealed to be sinful. So had the law not said, you shall not covet, Paul would not have known what coveting really was, that it was sin. Do you understand? It's not that he wouldn't have had coveting in his heart. He would have had that whether the law was there or not. But now the law comes in and it confirms that that thing going on inside of you, Paul, that's sin. That's sin. That's a violation of God's will. Now, when you think about what it is to covet, when you think about that, I'm just going to show you something. When you think about that, you should think about that feeling, hear me, that feeling of discontentment, and strong yearning to have what someone else has. Hello. That feeling of discontentment in your heart and that strong yearning to have what someone else has that all too often, if we're going to be honest right now, often resides in our heart. And the law exposes that feeling. It exposes that feeling for what it really is a violation of God's will, sin. Now, just for fun, if you're wondering if you might be guilty of coveting, because maybe you're not clear yet, here's a simple test. I got this from a teaching pastor over at Full Hill when he went through this text. I thought it was good. Here's a test for you, okay? You ready? So I just love when people, they appeal to the law. Are you kidding me? You don't understand the law, obviously. I don't think you've ever read it. The law just shows you how messed up we are. Watch. Let me, let me do this for you. Can you honestly say the following? I am content with any food, any clothing, any climate, any society, any attitude, any recognition or obscurity, any level of health, and any interpretation or interruption in my life by the will of God. Okay, we'll just sit on that one for a second. And when I see my brother prosper, when I see my my brother or sister do well and have their needs met, do I rejoice with them in spirit and feel no envy nor question God even though my needs might be far greater and desperate? (laughs) Do I do that? If you cannot honestly say this, then you are guilty of the sin of coveting. Now, how does that make you feel? Huh? Huh? Shame, Shame, right. It lays you low. That's what the law does. The human nature, beloved, I love this. I love that every time you watch a Disney movie... You'll learn that the human nature is beautiful and wonderful. We just got to push out the bad. By the way, may the 4th be with you, right? Okay, I just had to get that in. It's May 4th for all you Star Wars fans, but it's right, okay? May the 4th be with you. So we go around and say that, but I only brought that up because it's that same type of thinking that this force, there's an evil force and a good force. Now your minds are gone. I shouldn't have done that. Now you're thinking about luke i am your father i mean that's what you're thinking about right now dumb jeremy dumb um now i'm lost the force you think about that force say the good force the evil come on guys you know the force is strong with this one and you know come to this side all this not listen humanity the law exposes the fact that there's nothing good going on in humanity beloved it's all corrupted To one degree or another, it's all corrupted. That doesn't mean that humanity can't perform good deeds. I'm just saying even those good deeds are corrupted. They in and of themselves are corrupted through and through. Maybe you can't see it, but God sees it, and you know it once your heart is exposed to the law of God. I just gave you a simple test on coveting, just one command. How many of you passed with flying colors? Not a one of you. Not a one of you, if you're being true. Now, here's the thing, the law can expose sin, it can do that, for through the law comes knowledge of sin, but here's the point, it cannot eradicate it. Did you see any hope in the law when it said that? Did you see your your heart flaming forth to say, yes, I find in that strength to not covet any longer? I'd, if you did, that's amazing. I don't know where you found it, because I don't ever find it there. I found despair, I found condemnation, I found guilt. It can't conquer our sin, beloved. It cannot overcome sin in our lives, rather and get this Sin actually, listen, sin actually uses the law to make things worse for us.. <laughs> All right? And that brings me right to the second point. The law is not evil. This is the, the, the second way in which sinner and law are related. The law is not evil. Rather, the law is exploited by sin. The law exposes sin? Good. The law is also, uh-oh, exploited by sin. Let me give you a, a definition of a s- exploit. It is to take selfish advantage of a person or situation in order to, in order for personal gain or benefit. Did you hear that definition? Do you know what exploit means now? Sin exploits the law. Look back at the text, verse 8. But sin, Paul says, but sin, seizing, here, watch this phrase, it comes up twice, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, sin lies dead. I I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, here it is again, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it, killed me. So Paul states twice that concerning the commandment he just mentioned in verse 7, you shall not covet, okay, that's what he's still talking about, that sin seized an opportunity through that commandment. Now, Bible scholars, listen, this is interesting, Bible scholars inform us that the the Greek word that's translated opportunity, opportunity here in your English Bibles, was originally a military term. It was a military term, and it, it meant a base of operations for the military, or a starting point for further advance. The base of operations for further advance are a starting point where the military would use to advance on its enemies. So with that in mind, you could say that sin is an enemy invader that establishes a base of operations through the law in order to advance its evil purposes and ruin humanity. Destroy them. See, it is because of sin that the law, listen, it is because of sin now that the law is turned into an instrument that produces the very thing that it has prohibited. Sin actually twists the function of the law so that it ends up provoking or inciting more sin. More lawlessness. So the law says, here we are. The law says, you shall not covet. But sin comes along and causes humanity to resent that restriction. See This this is really, you want to talk about sin, you could, in the same sentence when you're talking about sin, you could put that word there, rebellion. Rebellion. So now, What happens to the rebellious heart when someone says, do this or don't do that? What happens? Well, uh huh? They want to, then that's exactly what I'm going to do. That's exactly what I'm going to do. No one tells me how to run my life. Oh, you want to tell me how to run my life? I'm going to do it in the exact opposite just to show you, you don't run my life. I run my life. Beloved, that's sin. That is sin. Right? Because we come to people and we say, give your life to Christ. Give it to him, right? And sin says, are you kidding me? Don't give your life to anyone. You run your life. And we say, no, listen. You don't, you're a fool. You don't run your life. Sin runs your life. Sin's got you convinced that you run your life, but sin owns you. You're enslaved by it. I'm telling you, give your life to Christ. He sets you free. He gives you life like you've never experienced it. He gives you the abundant life. He gives you life everlasting. Oh, don't listen to them. Don't listen to them. Don't put yourself under anyone. You see how wicked sin is? The law says you shall not covet. Sin causes humanity to resent that restriction placed on them, and it gives rise to rebellion in their hearts. And so, consequently, they find themselves doing the very thing that the law has prohibited. That's what Paul's saying. So, what can we learn from Paul's words is due to sin, due to sin. Listen, if we were holy people, if there was no sin in us, then God could give us his law? No problem. We wouldn't even need the law, beloved. We would just be doing things right. Think about that. We'd just be doing things right. You could just look at me and go, there it is. That's the will of God right there. I know what it is because that person does everything like God wants them to. They're holy just like God we we're confused about what the law can actually do the law wasn't able to listen the law wasn't able to eradicate covetousness in Paul's life it wasn't and ultimately it couldn't make him more holy rather beloved it had the opposite effect it resulted in all kinds of covetousness oh my goodness now i'm coveting everything <laughs> what is going on inside of me It made things worse for Paul, not better. This is crazy. Sin nature. Why? Now, why does this happen? Because the law is somehow evil? No, but no, that's right. No. Make sure there's a hard no, but because sin is. And unfortunately, the law is impotent. It's impotent when it comes to dealing with sin. Rather, sin turns the law into its unwilling crime and partner, partner in crime. The sin turns the law into its unwilling partner in crime. See, the law can expose sin, but it can't stop it or keep sin from using it to further its diabolical purposes. Now, there are a few more things I want to say quickly uh, concerning verses 8 through 11 that I want to address. At the end of verse 8, Paul says this. He, adjusts, so he, he says what he says in, in verse 8 concerning sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Then he says, for apart from the law, sin lies dead. So for is an explanatory term. He's explaining something that he just said. He's giving further clarification. So what he says, so for apart from the law, sin lies dead, somehow explains what he just said. Now, what does that mean? For apart from the law, sin lies dead. Guess what? This is debated. This is debated. But I think I'm going to just give you, with saving you all that stuff, I think it's just another way of Paul saying that sin, in a relative sense, he's speaking relatively, appears quiet or dormant, or inactive, or dead without the law because it was the commandment of the law that gave sin the opportunity to produce in him all kinds of covetousness or every kind of covetous desire. So I might say something like this, apart from coffee, Jeremy is dead. Okay, so you know when I say that, that I don't, I'm not really dead, but you introduce coffee into my veins, and the difference between who I was before coffee and after coffee is the difference between life and death. <laughs> so, it's a weak illustration, but it's the best one for right now, okay? But you get the idea. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I think it's a relative kind of contrast. And Paul continues his thought. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. Whew. Okay. There is a great deal of debate about what Paul means in verse 9, a great deal of debate. And sometimes I expose you to this debate, and sometimes I don't, and this time I'm not. A little bit, but I'm I'm not. Uh, Bible commentators, they ask, when exactly did this occur, that when, when was Paul ever alive apart from the law? When was he ever alive apart from the law? And I have to tell you that in working through this myself for hours, hours, I am I'm still not 100% sure, okay? I'm not. I lean a particular way, but some scholars, Bible scholars, will even argue that the I here, where he says I, now when, you, when he says I, who do you think he's talking about? Himself. Okay, most Bible commentators think he's talking about himself. It's autobiographical. He's talking about his own experiences, but when you read 9 and 10 and 11, some think that Paul is actually using I in a reference to Adam. In a reference to Adam. Now, he's talked about Adam in chapter 5. It, it certainly fits Adam because Adam is really the only one, if we were to take this just really hard literal, he's the only one that was ever alive apart from any law. And then the commandment came Thou shalt not eat of the tree. The fruit of the middle, you know, the fruit of the tree of that garden. And then he ate it, and then he died. He died spiritually, eventually died physically. All these things, yes, are true. I I just can't go there. I don't I don't see it. It makes sense, but I don't think if I was reading that and I was in Rome and I'm reading Paul, I'm not sure I would have made the connection that he's talking about Adam all of a sudden. And then some think that he is speaking of Israel. Now he's speaking of himself in union with Israel. Now, or the Jewish people okay cuz remember we're trying to figure out Paul when were you alive apart from the law when was that possible you were born under the law so what is he talking about right so maybe he's talking about the jewish people and you and i that's difficult for us to embrace because we're so independent we speak about i and us and it's just it's i it's me but in that culture they often identified themselves with their people And they would say, I. They would identify themselves with their their heritage, with their history. One example of that is is the Passover. Every time they took the Passover, every Jew taking the Passover, celebrating their exodus from from, uh, Egypt, they would say, I was a slave in Egypt. Now, were they really a slave in Egypt? No, they weren't born in that time period. But they are identifying in solidarity with the Jewish people. And... If I believe that he's talking, if I believe all of a sudden that he shifted and now he's identifying with the Jewish people, then his reference to I was alive apart from when the law came is a reference to when Israel was a nation and then God gave them the law. And when the law came, they realized their deadness before God, they were, they were, uh, condemnation came upon them because of the law. That's possible. Uh, I'm going to tell you that I, I lean towards still, Paul's just talking about himself, but there are strong arguments, especially towards some of these other it, uh, suggestions. So, if Paul is talking about himself, now people attempt to try to make sense of that. Okay? See, because if I go with, well, he's he's speaking in solidarity with the Jewish people. Well, that makes sense. It's just I, I'm not sure that's exactly what Paul meant. and And there's not enough there to tell me for sure that is what he meant. So... I'm going to give you some suggestions. I think Paul is talking about himself. I think he's still speaking autobiographically. Here's an option When was he alive apart from the law? He could be, he could be, because he doesn't tell us. (laughs) He doesn't tell us, but I just want to expose you to it. It could be he's referring to the time before his bar mitzvah. You guys know bar mitzvah? Are you familiar with that term? So this is when a young Jewish man or a young Jewish boy becomes officially, in in, in the Jewish culture, a man. And bar mitzvah, bar mitzvah, Hebrew terms, literally means son, bar mitzvah, commandment, son of the commandment. He comes under the law. He, He formally obligates himself to the Mosaic law. And he does that at the age of 13. So he would have formally assumed moral responsibility for obeying the law, And when he did that, if that's what Paul's talking about, at that point, sin was awakened in him. It was awakened in him. It came alive, and consequently, he died. Now, we know Paul didn't die literally, but rather, he died in that he saw he was condemned to die because he realized his guilt before God. I don't know. Others say it has nothing to do with that, but rather, sometime before Paul was converted to Christianity... Listen, he thought he was alive. He thought he was doing really well, right, in God's sight. He thought he was fulfilling the law, but when it became clear to him at some point of the real inward meaning of God's law, Paul no longer thought he was alive and sin was dead. Rather, he realized that sin was very much alive within him, and consequently, he became a dead man before God. He became like a dead man before God, Or as one commentator says it, he felt within himself the sentence of death. Maybe that is what it means. I don't know. I would lean that way, okay? But listen, ultimately, ultimately, I did that all just to expose you to some of that stuff because you might have questions. What is Paul getting at? Ultimately, no matter which way you go, it doesn't change the points I'm making. It doesn't change the points I'm making. That's why I specifically chose these points. The law exposes sin, the law is exploited by sin, and the law establishes how wicked sin is. And all those points can still be found in this section of Romans regardless of how exactly you understand verse 9. Now, quickly, a few comments concerning verse 10 and 11. And I might even do communion today really to speed it up, okay? All right, 10 and 11. And we'll look at the final point found in verse 13. Like, that'll speed it up. Yeah, I know. I heard, I heard those comments. Really, honestly, give it to him. It'll go faster. Uh, verse 10 and 11. Uh, the very, so let's go back. Romans 7, 10 and 11. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. There's just some points here, phrasing I want you to hear and see. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. Now listen. While God never intended the law to be a means of salvation, it did... It did come with a promise of life for those who perfectly obeyed it. If you want to check that out, Leviticus eighteen five, Ezekiel chapter twenty verse eleven. There are others. Luke chapter twenty verses twenty five through twenty eight. Even Jesus speaks like this. Okay, if you could perfectly obey the law, then certainly it would bring you life. The problem, though, is sin turned the law into a death sentence. See, there's nothing wrong with the law, but sin turned the law into a descence because sin made it impossible for any human being to fulfill the law and thereby attain life, the life it promised. In fact, listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, Paul's speaking of the law. He's speaking of the law. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 7, and he refers to the law of Moses, get this, as the ministry of death. That's what he calls the law. Do you see why the Jewish people were so frustrated with this guy? What? How dare you speak of the law in such blasphemous ways? But Paul's right. Paul's right. He called it the ministry of death. And again in verse 9, he the same thing, he refers it to it as the ministry of condemnation. The ministry of condemnation. Why would Paul refer to a good and holy law in this way? I'm going to tell you why. Because of sin. Because of sin. Does the law bear that kind of labeling? And this brings me to the last point in the outline. This one's quick. The law is not evil. Rather, the law establishes how wicked sin is. The law is not evil. Rather, the law establishes how wicked sin is. Romans chapter 7, verse 13, last verse. Look back at your Bibles or look up on the screen. That's what Paul says. He just said the law was holy and the commandment was holy, good, righteous, the law is good. So did that which is good, did that commandment, thou shalt not covet, did that which is good then bring death to me? Is that what happened? Is there something wrong with the law? By no means. It was sin. It was sin producing death in me through what is good. Why? In order that sin might be shown to be sin. That's interesting. Sin might be shown to be sin. Sin might be shown to be wicked. And through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. Okay, now the bottom line for us, this is it. Explain this. The bottom line for us is the real culprit in humanity's demise. The real culprit is not the law of God. It is not, but rather sin. For sin takes the good law of God and turns it into an instrument of death, of condemnation. But in doing that, in doing that, the true character of sin is exposed because, listen, sin uses that which is good in order to kill, in order to bring fallen humanity under God's awful and just condemnation. Beloved, there is no better evidence for the utter wickedness of sin. See, this is what, this is what we got to come to grips with in our hearts and remind ourselves of. We, unfortunately, like sin. Well, not every sin. I don't like sin. Okay. Yeah, you, you have categories that you clearly don't like, right? A rape. Oh, that, obviously, I don't like that. Pedophilia, oh, that's horrific, right? But coveting, eh, no, no. I don't know about that. I mean, what's wrong with that? Little lie here or there, that's not going to hurt anybody. I mean, you just got to lie to get through life. Come on. Selfishness, gossip. Well, we have gossip magazines, we have gossip TV. I mean, we, we are centered on this stuff. It's our entertainment. Are you kidding me? All right. You've got to understand what sin is. It, it is vile and wicked, and the law exposes it for what it really is. Because it takes that which is holy, that which is good, it takes that to perform its most deadly work. The law unwillingly is used by sin as an instrument to bring about death, cutting us off from God. Temporarily and permanently, if you don't turn to Christ. Let let me, let me, this is not going to be a perfect illustration, but let me try to illustrate this. I gave it a little bit of thought of just how horrific, awful, and wicked sin is, and how you can see that because it takes this good and holy thing and then turns it on its head so that it crushes us, so that it brings us under death. It would be horrific and unspeakable thing, listen, for someone to break into a person's home and kill one of the occupants. Would you all agree with that? But it would be an entirely, an entirely other thing, an entirely incomprehensible thing if someone broke into another person's home and took the mom hostage and put the gun in her hand and forced her to kill Her own child. Do you see the difference? Do you see the wickedness of that event? Does that disgust you? Would that take it to a new level? That is the nature of sin. That is the wickedness that characterizes sin. sin is a monster we tell our kids you know about monsters and stuff And we make light of monsters because we don't want our kids being afraid we shouldn't make light of this monster this is a real monster of the worst kind and the law while good and holy and it is is utterly powerless against this monster. We cannot rely on the law for our salvation, and we cannot rely on the law for our sanctification. Rather, beloved, we must put all of our hope in Christ. That's where it's got to be, and we must rely on the Spirit, God's Holy Spirit that He has given to us in order to win our battle with sin. And it's a battle. And bear fruit for God. That's our hope. And you'll see that more clearly, beloved, as we move through seven and get into eight. It is the Spirit of God. That is what results in us being made holy. It is the Spirit's power. It is reliance upon Him. And that's exactly why Paul says in Galatians chapter five, if you walk by the Spirit... If you submit and yield your life to the Spirit of God that dwells inside you, you will not carry out the desire, the evil desire of the flesh, of your fallen humanity. You won't. You want to bring yourself under the law? You are going to have frustration. Bring yourself under the Spirit of God and you'll have victory. You'll have victory. That's the message. More next week.